Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interviewed notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We've got a great guest all the way from Kansas City, Missouri. Welcome to the show, Logan Freeman. Thanks for having me, Victor. So, Logan, you've been in this business a little while now, but for those who don't know you, and I know we've got some mutual friends that we've met at several conferences before, and you and I've met before, but for the folks who don't know you, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got into this particular segment of real estate investing? Absolutely. About five or six years ago, I finished up school and, and started purchasing my, my first homes here in Kansas City, and I was doing very, very small live-in flips that allowed me to put some money in my pocket, but also utilize my own construction knowledge. And, and I, I learned the, the power of real estate at that point. Um, that segued into a full-time career into not only being a real estate broker, but uh, an investor here myself. And I had the, the pleasure of representing about a $45 million fund here in Kansas City that was purchasing assets, um, renovating them, leasing them up. And refinancing. And uh, one day after we did 225 doors for those guys, I sat down with them and, and I said, hey, we've had a really good run. I know your fund is, is kind of tapped out, but can you tell me how you guys got started? And that question led me to this big world called syndication that I had never heard about. And so at that time, I realized that I wanted to start putting my own syndication business together, but I knew nothing about that. So I started flying around the country and meeting with folks like yourself and reading everybody's books and going to events and came back to Kansas City, moved my license to a commercial and multifamily brokerage to learn that business. I have a successful brokerage business as well and uh, started putting together uh, syndications here in my backyard. So that's how I got started into what I'm currently doing at Live Free Investments. I love that. Now, Kansas City is a little bit of a different market. It's not one of the coastal markets, and it's also not like your typical Midwestern market. It's got, it's really its own market. There's nothing else like it in the country, and it's attracted a lot of investment from other markets. What's that been like? So what I love about Kansas City is that there's a lot of outside investment, like you mentioned, coming in here to uh, to Kansas City, which is allowing us to not only renovate a lot of of buildings, but have a lot of growth on the brokerage side, but there's still really great opportunities uh, to actually put together uh, partnerships. And the reason being is, you know, we have a management team here in place. We have uh, a lot of different relationships around the city that allow us to have inside scoop on on the larger projects that we, we would want to bring to our investors. You know, alongside that, I think that a lot of people think that Missouri might be one of those flyover states that there's really just not a lot going on. And, you know, that's not really the case. We have a lot of tech here. I, when I was in the startup world, I worked out of the first house that had Google Fiber in the country, and that's here in Kansas City, Missouri, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and so a lot of businesses started to follow Google and the Google Fiber trend, and we, we kind of call ourselves the, uh, the Silicon Prairie um, here. Not the Silicon Valley, but the Silicon Prairie. So there's nice tech here. We have a great plethora of actual world headquarters here, Garmin and H&R Block. So we have great job growth and um, affordability too, I think is another one that has, has really allowed us to be a good uh, place for people to invest in. And so uh, with all those different factors kind of coming together, uh, we are definitely on the up and up. And many of my investors who fly into town weekly with me, whenever I tour them around, they really say, hey, Logan, this really feels like Denver did 
you know, five or 10 years ago. And I'm not really familiar with Denver, but uh, a lot of these guys are that invested there. And uh, that also feels good to me because if uh, we are on the growth trajectory and a lot of outsiders are seeing that and feeling that, um, there's just going to be even more opportunities for us to invest in and continue to purchase properties here in Kansas City. I love that. And of course, I've been to Kansas City back when I was in the high tech industry and when I was in the telecom industry, Sprint, uh, who are headquartered there, were are based in Kansas City. And of course, Kansas City post year 2000, with the dot com bubble that burst and everything else that caused a little bit of a downturn in the telecom industry went a little bit sideways. And it kind of went sideways for a few years. But I think it's really coming back into its own. It's seeing new growth, new jobs and uh, new population growth. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, those are, that's one of the fundamentals that I always look for in any market. And, uh, you know, it's that influx of jobs. It's that influx of population. Uh, because without that, it's very, very difficult. Prices will fall if, the, if it's a shrinking city. I mean, we've seen that in other cities like Detroit, for example, that have lost population. Many of those cities are going through a world of hurt. And there's a reason why you can buy a house for you know, twenty twenty five thousand dollars in Detroit. Put it on your credit card, and still, you know, still get eight hundred a month in rent. It's That's because right. eventually, when a city loses half or more of its population, supply and demand dictates that prices are going to fall. So fast forward to today, uh, you did work with this fund. You've started working on syndication. Uh, you're involved in property management. If you fast forward the next twelve twenty four months, what's in the future? You know. I have really found my niche helping out-of-state buyer clients with their 1031 exchanges. And so uh, my goals for 2020 are around not only finding good properties for my buyer clients to purchase outright for themselves and their 1031 exchanges, but to continually to find larger multifamily and, and retail projects that make sense for our investors that don't necessarily want to be super active in the in the in the process. And what I've been able to do is find a way to be able to support an investor if they want to purchase directly and or if they would like to get a lot of the benefits of real estate, but not a lot of the day-to-day -day management. I think that from, from my standpoint, I'm able to offer my clients something that a lot of other uh, just real estate agents or brokers uh, are not. So my goals for this year are to find uh, four to five larger projects, 100 plus multifamily unit deals that we find utilizing our relationships here in Kansas City and either offer those to my investors to purchase outright uh, because a lot of them are looking for those, those assets or if it fits and we have the bandwidth to actually put together a partnership to be able to offer um, you know, passive investing opportunities for our our investors. And so our, we do have a, a sales volume that we're, we're looking to target for, for next year. And we're looking to double what we did this year. And I think that we're going to be able to do that, uh, utilizing some of the unique approaches that we've got here in the marketplace. We've seen in many markets with the growth, there's been a lot of influx of money. In particular, I'm thinking of the Dallas-Fort Worth area where there's a lot of money coming into the market. And virtually every project that ends up on the market almost becomes an auction. You know, you get 10, 20 offers on any multifamily project. Are you seeing that same dynamic in the Kansas City market? You know, we are. And I would say that the projects that are going to the capital markets with the CBREs and the larger brokers here, they definitely are doing call for offers and, and are getting their prices. Uh, what we've been able to do this year is uh, utilizing either a management relationship or 
you know, just a relationship that we have built over the last 17 years being active here, uh, something that, you know, is not going to actually go trade. And everybody always talks about off-market properties. And, and I think that it's more of an art and not really a science. I, I really do. It's a really relationship game. It's really you have to evoke that confidence as a buyer client to purchase a, a one of these larger assets that aren't going to go to to market. But the things that are going to the capital markets, the 300 plus unit class A or B plus multifamily projects, they're absolutely getting bid up and they're just, it is an auction scenario in, in most of those. What's happening in the world of new construction in Kansas City right now? There's a lot of class A multifamily being built, Victor. Uh, and a lot of it is in the suburbs and um, which actually is, is mostly the, the Kansas side of things here. So a lot of folks might not know, but Kansas City, Missouri is the big Kansas City. There is a Kansas City, Kansas. There's not a whole lot in KCK. But in the Kansas City metro area, we have some of the richest counties, Johnson County, uh, Overland Park, Leewood, uh, a lot of these awesome suburbs that are, are popping up and, and being developed. And the reason for that is, Historically, Jackson County, which is here in Kansas City, Missouri, has some of the worst schools in the country. And if you literally, I live on State Line Road, so one side is Missouri and one side is Kansas. You can go from the worst schools in Missouri in the Kansas side to uh, driving across the street and going to some of the best schools. So you'll see a lot of folks who are my age that are having babies uh, they will leave the central business district and they will move down to the suburbs. And a lot of times they're going to rent for a couple years before they buy their houses because those houses are a little more expensive. Um, that's, that's what's happening in the, in the suburbs. In our central business district, there's a couple really large players that have, have really spent a lot of money. Uh, Mill House is, is one of them out of Indianapolis and Cordish is the other one here that has been really putting a, a lot of capital into our downtown. So you're seeing a lot of skyscraper type class A multifamily product being uh, being built. And, you know, these rents are close to two and a quarter a square foot, which I think we're getting close to Chicago rents in some of these, in some of these buildings. Uh, but the absorption rate has been, has been pretty good for these guys. And so I'm interested to see, it's not what we focus on, building and, and, and doing Class A multifamily development. We, we really focus on more of the affordable space where it might be $1.25 to $1.75 per square foot on the rent side. And I'm very curious to watch what happens on the absorption of all of these Class A multifamily uh, projects because I was just watching a CoStar webinar on apartments, and I think that there's about 660,000 new Class A multifamily projects being uh, developed and to, to be delivered in the next two years. And I think a lot of people have their eyes kind of raised to seeing how that affects the market. Same thing's happening here in Kansas City. The one thing that's obviously driving that is that the difference in cost from a construction point of view to build Class A, Class B, or Class C is within really just a few percentage points. So all of the things right. being equal, why would you ever build Class C? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you ever build Class B? But for a couple of extra bucks, and I really mean a couple of extra bucks, you might as well build Class A. Because really what you're talking about are the amenities. The difference between a laminate countertop and granite in the grand scheme of things is a rounding error right. in terms of the overall construction cost. So that's why everybody's building quote-unquote Class A. It's it's really just a new building standard. That's really all it is at this point. Yeah. 
And, you know, we kind of take the same approach that your, your company does, Victor, on buying the line and, and working to move the line. And so there's specific areas that we've been operating in for years in Kansas City that maybe, maybe outsiders would not be as, as comfortable with. Uh, we do have a what's called the racial divide here in Kansas City, and it's called Troost, uh, Troost Avenue, which is a street here. Uh, and that we have been working alongside different community organizations, purchasing buildings up and down Troost around the colleges to help continue to bridge that gap. And we just last week closed on a 40-unit apartment complex right in that same corridor. So where we're really focused on is trying to redevelop older buildings, so 19 hundreds circa buildings into affordable rents, which are around a dollar to dollar fifteen a square foot. And the way that you have to do that is you have to be comfortable going into some areas that maybe other people might not. But with our management, with the units that we own in those areas, we're able to do that and continue to add value to the community, but also continue to bring affordable rents to to the marketplace. And uh, our vacancy rates are extremely low on those projects. Well, the key to doing that, of course, is scale. You know, if you do one or two, it's not enough to change the character of a neighborhood in the sense that, you know, if there are undesirable elements in the neighborhood, whether it's drug dealers, gangs, what have you, you've got to put enough scale that those folks are going to go elsewhere. You know, you shut down the liquor store where folks are hanging out all afternoon and all of those types of things so that you really bring the community back to being a true community where people are, you know, feel safe, you know, letting their kids go outside and play and all of that kind of stuff. Race and demographics aside, you really want to build safe communities and it requires a bit of skill to do that. You're exactly right. And not only does it require people to redevelop the multifamily and the residential properties, it what we see a lot of the times is it, it takes a developer to go in and, and have pretty large holding costs on commercial buildings because What's happened here in Kansas City is a lot of people have developed these uh, older residential buildings, and that's great, but you still have the payday loan guys right down the street. You still have the liquor stores. You still have tattoo shops everywhere, and, and that's okay to an extent, but when every building is like that, you know, you have to think about, well, who's going to want to live over here? So what we've really tried to focus on as well is not only buying and re- redeveloping the multifamily sector is... You know, we're, we're doing the same thing on the commercial side right now, which you really have to be ingrained in the community. And so that allows us to find other opportunities that we can purchase and, and know that we're working on, you know, moving that line. I love that. I love that. In order to do that effectively, you've got to have some pretty strong systems. I mean, you've got to have strong property management systems. You've got to have strong uh, construction management. We're talking about renovations, not brand new construction, but it's construction nonetheless. How have you brought those into your team and put together that structure so that you have something that's going to be consistent and repeatable? Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit it right on the head, too, because sometimes renovating an old building is harder than constructing a new one. <laughs> and well, at least in our in our in our uh, experience, it has been. So, you know, we have uh, a full construction management uh, team um, at at our brokerage and that we utilize that is focused on um, these older buildings because, you know, if you want to get a 1970s or newer constructed building, it's going to be really difficult to find that in the downtown in the area that we really operate in. And so we've understood that we had to uh, bring our operations and our management in-house to be able to uh, keep a finger on that pulse. And what we've been able to do is, 
is have one construction manager that has great relationships with a lot of different subcontractors, which allows us to know what the price is going to be. We keep these guys busy, not only for ourselves when we purchase a building, but it also is is, is a third party uh, option for our, our clients as well. And so I can't speak highly enough about having somebody that is local, that knows the city, knows who to talk to about permits, knows who to talk to about building codes and can get things done quickly because um, having just a, a residential contractor come in and try to do a commercial building can be a, an absolute nightmare. And I'm actually going through that uh, currently on one of my projects to get the pricing that I needed to. I was working with a construction company that was primarily residential and um, we have been delayed about six months now and we are still not occupied when the project was supposed to be done in, in November and we're still about four or five months out. So I think that, you know, understanding it is the only way to be able to um, effectively do these projects. And the only way to understand it is um, working with people who have done it before. And that's a really, um, it's a really hard thing to, to communicate with people whenever they are just looking at a pro forma. Uh, it's kind of that intangible piece that, yes, you know, uh, we might be a little more expensive but up front, but at the same time, project's going to get delivered on time and on budget because we know who to use and we know who to call. And so having that in-house at, at our brokerage has been extremely important for the, for the execution of our projects and for our clients' projects, mind you. Well, for the listeners at home, if you're getting anything from this, it should be the difference between just calling up your average real estate agent down the street versus someone who's truly in the business of assisting investors, working on renovation projects, working on value add deals. The folks that are in that business on a day-to-day basis, they they structure themselves differently. And the way that Logan is talking, it conveys that confidence to me. I mean, he does the same sorts of things that we do. He's got the functions in-house. He's got the construction management in-house. He's got the property management in-house. And that's that's essential to building a scalable business. So if folks want to learn a bit more, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, Victor, going to my website, which is just livefreeinvestments.com is the best way to get a hold of me. They can contact me through that website and I'd be happy to chat with anybody. Well, Logan, thanks for sharing your story with us. And for the listeners at home, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Definitely get in touch with Logan at livefreeinvestments.com. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.